Hi, I'm Talia Baroncelli, and you're watching TheAnalysis.News. I'll shortly be joined by Imad Saleme to speak about Hezbollah, as well as the recent strike in the south of Beirut, which killed Hamas deputy leader Saleh al-Aruri. We just started a new year, so if you'd like to support us at the beginning of this year, you can do so by going to our website, TheAnalysis.News, and hitting the donate button at the top right corner of the screen. You can also get onto our mailing list and like and subscribe to the show wherever you watch us, be it on YouTube or other podcast streaming services such as Apple or Spotify. See you in a bit with Professor Saleme. Joining me now to break down the developments ongoing in Lebanon is Professor Imad Saleme. He's an associate professor of political science and international affairs at the Lebanese American University, which is in Beirut. He's also the author of numerous books, including two books published in 2021 called The Government and Politics of Lebanon and The Communitarian Nation-State Paradox in Lebanon. So thank you so much for joining me today, Professor Saleme. Thank you, Thadia. Well, we've seen numerous strikes in the Middle East, or what some people are now calling West Asia, including two suicide bombings in Kerman, in the southeastern part of Iran, which attacked uh, people that were commemorating the killing of Hassan Soleimani. So 84 people, at least 84 people were killed there, and over 284, I believe, were wounded. And in addition to that, on January 2nd, we saw um, the deputy head of Hamas in uh, the southeast, sorry, the south part of Beirut being taken out by a strike. And that's, of course, um, al-Aruri. And so far, Israel hasn't actually claimed responsibility for that attack, though they haven't really actively denied any responsibility there either. So that's maybe something that we could uh, discuss throughout our discussion today. But in response to this strike and taking out al-Aruri, the head of Hezbollah, Hassan Nasrallah, has said that there would be a full-scale war if Israel decided to invade and to escalate. But at the moment, it seems like there's a more of a strategic balancing and there hasn't been um, any sort of warfare that goes beyond low-intensity attacks. And it's very difficult to say whether this will indeed escalate. How do you perceive what's going on? Do you think that Hezbollah will decide to take this and make this into a much broader regional war? Yes, Talia, thanks for the question. Uh, it is very important to uh, think about these uh, issues right now as we, you know, go into a very unstable and uh, fluid situation here in Lebanon and a wider Middle Eastern region. Uh, uh, of course, uh, the assassination of Aruri in Beirut, in the southern district of the city, was a major uh, a change in the, in the rule of engagement, so to speak, that was uh, governed the confrontation on the Lebanese-Israeli borders for the past uh, two months almost. Since October 7, there were limited skirmishes, what we call a low-intensity conflict taking place on that border. Uh, it's a conflict or fighting that have been raising on within like seven kilometers of both sides of the borders. But the assassination of Salah Aruri, 
deputy political bureau of Hamas was a major, major escalation, so to speak, by Israel, where it went all the way to the capital city of Beirut to kill or to target kill the leader of Hamas. And that definitely this is uh, from a perspective on from the various threats made by Hezbollah and uh, its leaders, Hassan Nasrallah, uh, that uh, required some kind of major retaliations on the party's side. However, if you uh, uh, listen to Nasrallah's previous uh, speech, and today he, uh, he just gave a speech as well, it appears that Nasrallah has been trying to the extent possible to divert a major retaliation that could lead to uh, also a major retaliation by Israel or what we are calling here an open warfare between both sides or open conflict that could lead to the utilizations of like more of strategic weapons such as long-range missiles from Hezbollah sides or by Israel bombarding uh, major infrastructures for the party all over the country. So uh, definitely I believe that Hezbollah and Nasrallah uh, are hesitant of making the wrong move here in this battle. They are carefully calculating every action they uh, that they're making in this warfare and trying to divert a major, major kind of war. And therefore, what we are hearing right now is a message where the retaliation of Hezbollah will be um, made based on their own timing and based on the positions or the place they feel is best to retaliate, maybe now, maybe in the future, so this uh, gives us a kind of, you know, a, a pretext for Hezbollah not to immediate retaliation and, and not to be, you know, uh, to, to start a major conflict here in the country. Uh, and, you know, when you hear also Hezbollah and particularly Nasrallah speaking about how they want or how they see the course of this warfare, their intention, as they say, is to back Gaza, uh, Hamas in Gaza, you know, rather than to become the fighting force against Israel or to have the front shifted from that of Gaza into Lebanon and then the whole political uh, issue becomes that of Lebanon-Israel or that of Iran-Israel because Iran supports Hezbollah on all levels, economically, militarily, and politically. So I guess for the moment, Hezbollah is trying to uh, prevent this kind of scenario from taking place. They are continuously trying to maintain a low conflict as to uh, play down supporting act or the supportive role to those, uh, I don't know, to Hamas fighting Gaza rather than to become the military and uh, front uh, in a fight against Israel here in Flapsham. 
So in a way, like I'm, what I'm trying to say is that, you know, perhaps Nasrallah and Hezbollah do not want to now to retaliate in any major way that would uh, spark a major war here in the South. Right. They're trying to avoid stealing the spotlight away from Gaza for various reasons. But Lebanon is no stranger to being attacked by Israel. I mean, there was the invasion in 1982 and even up to... 2006, there was ongoing warfare between Israel and, and various groups in, in Lebanon. And of course, many civilians were killed in Lebanon. A lot of civilian infrastructure was killed. And I believe there was a doctrine that Israel developed in that fighting called the Dahia Doctrine, um, in which Israel would attack certain civilian areas where militants were residing in. And the whole purpose was to try and and damage the civilian infrastructure so that those civilians would actually pressure the militants to leave those areas. I mean, whether this is a um, an effective strategy or not, I mean, I highly doubt it. But um, would you say that they're, that Israel is still using or deploying that strategy? And would you also say that Hezbollah's response has been informed by, you know, decades of fighting between Israel and various groups in Lebanon? Yeah, I mean... Definitely, uh, what we've seen from Israeli actions in the past is what we call the collective punishment. Where, you know, like what's happening today in Gaza, I mean, much of the military tactics utilized by the Israeli army is to uh, uh, attack major civilian infrastructure, to destroy every possible means of survival for the civilian population in different areas of uh, Gaza, uh, and therefore to create uh, local pressure by the civilian population against the militants. And uh, in this way, the civilian population become in, in uh, uh, position contradictory to those of the militant and this how uh, Israel and kind of calculate or you know consider this as a way to undermine public support for uh, Palestinian armed groups and I think Israel has utilized this same tactics uh, in southern Lebanon or in many confrontations uh, whoever they uh, at one time in 96, uh, at least, there were a kind of a, an agreement brokered by France at that time where uh, um, there, there was an agreement where neither side would utilize civilian areas for uh, the fight and uh, any retaliations would be exclusive to military uh, positions. Of course, this is, was broken in 2006 again in Lebanon, where we had a major incursions by Israel, major fight that uh, led to uh, the destructions of like uh, power stations, the destructions of uh, major bridges and roads. Uh, uh, so uh, the target was of civilian, or uh, civilian, and that. You know, of course, Israel aimed from those uh, attacks to create an anti-Hezbollah popular discontent with, or you know, uh, against the party. And therefore, I guess right now this can develop in the, into those directions. However, 
till now, it has remained very limited. The fight on the southern border between both sides to like military installations. There hasn't been like attack against civilian like settlements or like housing inside Israel by Hezbollah. Nor has been any real uh, uh, attack against civilian targets uh, in Lebanon. And that's why, you know, uh, what we, we are calling this kind of confrontation uh, that both sides are fighting within an understandable rule of engagement. Uh, a rule of engagement where the civilian sites are spared from this conflict. So thus far, this is how it uh, it has been going. But you know, situation can easily run, go out of hand, and uh, situation can become uh, more volatile. And if, but for any reasons, a mistake uh, happened, and large um, number of civilians were hurt by any attacks, and that you know, uh, bring about a strong retaliation by either side and then you know we cannot control it anymore but thus thus far it has been you know uh, of low intensity skirmishes attacks here and there without major bombardment as civilian targets well the situation is quite tense as you say we don't know if there will be any additional escalations and the united states has been sending additional military assets to the eastern mediterranean as well as reinforcing some of the troops that are stationed there so how are these developments perceived by hezbollah i mean do they take this as a direct incursion into their sort of space and or as a threat or are they really just worried about israel no, of course, I mean, uh, Hezbollah considers the United States as part of the uh, of the overall war in the region, uh, being a main ally to Israel in terms of providing the Israel with all kinds of supports, political, economic, military. And uh, and United States' official position is to place the Hezbollah among the terrorist list, so is Hamas. So in that sense, uh, you know, the party does not distinguish much between the United States and Israel. And actually, the latest uh, assassination, targeted killing of Salah Aduri, the leader of Hamas in the southern district of Lebanon, you're going to find out that uh, Salah Aruri was listed on the U.S. list of terrorists, uh, and was uh, there was a five million um, prize put for any information leading to his arrest or killing. So therefore, you know, uh, it is it is not much this there isn't much distinctions at least from a Hezbollah perspective between the United States and Israel. They're both allies and they're both are responsible for the atrocities taking place in Gaza today. And they're both orchestrating this fight against what Hezbollah considered the axis of resistance. And therefore, you're finding in many ways uh, attack against U.S. targets nowadays, especially in in Iraq, 
with, with the uh, U.S. bases and uh, surrounded by many uh, pro-Iranian and pro-Hezbollah groups who have uh, been launching missiles against these bases because they consider the United States is the sole um, uh, responsible uh, over what Israel is doing. And this uh, uh, feelings with on Hezbollah and uh, so-called the axis of resistance groups is uh, consolidated by the fact that the United States has repeatedly vetoed any resolutions and the United Nations Security Councils demanding a ceasefire in Gaza or to open uh, getaways for uh, humanitarian assistance um, in any serious ways or to open what is called to uh, undermine the scene of Gaza. Uh, and that, you know, consolidate, so to speak, the convictions that the United States is part of this conflict when it's backing Israel what it's doing. So uh, when uh, when U.S. Uh, worship passes through our uh, the straight Yemen, Mandib, or they come to the Mediterranean, Hezbollah considered this is direct threat uh, or a message to the party that it will be targeted in any kind of an open uh, conflict with Israel. Uh, and uh, Nasrallah has vowed to target uh, these ships in case they uh, you know, join the fight and uh, express, express, you know, uh, fearfulness from um, these ships or from a military presence in the region. Um, so yeah, this is how it is uh, being, um, you know, unfolding here in the region. Well, you mentioned the so-called axis of resistance, which is comprised of groups such as Ansar Allah or the Houthis, as well as Hamas and Hezbollah. And as you mentioned, there have been numerous attacks on commercial vessels by the Houthis in the Red Sea. And in response to these attacks, in order to ensure that there's global trade and commerce, um, the United States has created a sort of neighborhood watch, which actually doesn't really involve many countries in the Persian Gulf or the neighborhood. The only country that's involved from that area is Bahrain. And the United States and the United Kingdom are the other countries that are really leading this initiative. Countries such as Italy in, in Europe have pulled out. So you do wonder how well thought out this particular initiative was. But in addition to that neighborhood watch, Politico reported that the Biden administration has other plans to potentially escalate um, the conflict in response to what's going on. So They've been launching additional drone strikes in Iraq and in Syria. We just saw uh, a member of the Popular Mobilization Front, which is an Iranian-backed group in Iraq, um, being taken out by a U.S. drone strike. So I do wonder, you know, these additional plans that the U.S. has, do you see this potentially leading to a full-out war with Iran? Yeah, I think uh, the United States is quite concerned about the widening of this conflict uh, where it become a direct confrontation between the United States and Iran because then 
you are a full scale war, regional war with Iran means, you know, full uh, mobilizations of U.S. troops, uh, Marines, Air Force. That means that uh, Iran may be able to close the Hermes Strait. It may uh, launch missiles against the U.S. bases in Gulf uh, countries, Arab Gulf states. Uh, that means that Iran can it actually, uh, you know, kind of devastate the uh, U.S. Uh, presence in the region. And uh, we were talking about here a full-scale war. That means we were talking about thousands and thousands of casualties. Uh, that means, you know, United States will have to engage in a war you know, on a wide scale with various fronts. I mean, a fight with Iran doesn't mean a fight just uh, across the Iranian borders because Iran has many proxy groups, many militant-supported groups all over the world, but particularly in Lebanon with Hezbollah, in Iraq with Peshd al-Shabi, uh, with Yemen, with the Houthis, so we can expect that any fight between Iran and the United States will become a regional war, and the United States will have to ha have many fights on different grounds. And I guess this is one of the reasons why many European countries pulled out from these uh, coalitions that meant to secure passages through Bab al-Mendib in Yemen. Because uh, many Europeans feared that if uh, a confrontation started with the Houthis in, the Ye in Yemen, uh, this will prepare the ground for a wider uh, confrontation, whereby the European will have to be pulled into this conflict against Iran. And I don't think the Europeans at this moment uh, are ready for such a scenario. Uh, the, the, the Europeans are already overwhelmed with the instability that took place in Syria that led to massive uh, migrations of refugees to European states and uh, undermined the, this, these migration waves, undermined the unity of the European Union. So imagine what happened if Iran became unstable and there were, there were a lot of uh, or massive migrations at the same time due to conflict or war from uh, from uh, Iran to different European countries. So the, Europe is, is much closer, uh, you see, it's much closer to the conflicts and much uh, closer geographically to Iran and to Iranian allies. So it's much more concerned and much more cautious than how the United States would act vis-a-vis -vis Iran. Uh, now, it is kind of uh, what we're seeing is that Israel, in particular, is trying to encourage some kind of regional confrontation because Israel recognizes full well that the different groups it's confronting on its own are backed and supported by uh, Iran, uh, whether they're Hezbollah or Hamas or, you know, the Shabi or the Houthis, you know, these different groups, Iran knows full well that it can fight with them, but it will never be victorious as long as Iran continues to support these groups, okay, as the, 
lifeline to these groups is held in Tehran. And therefore, uh, Israel is recognizing, day after another, that the only way to stop the security threat against its national uh, security and national interest is to really undermine the Iranian military bases, uh, military power, and, uh, and cut off this kind of line of support to these proxies from Iran to them. Uh, and the only way to do this is perhaps maybe to have a major confrontations where the United States become involved in attacking and bombarding out. And uh, so, you know, uh, definitely, however, one can see, see that any confrontation with Iran is not going to be a, uh, a simple uh, fight. It will be a major undertaking. We don't know uh, how other countries would react. I knew we have to and also factor in here Russia. We have to factor in here China. How will they behave if Iran was attacked by the United States and, you know, uh, uh, in one way or another, Iran was to lose its fight because these countries consider also they have money, uh, military cooperation agreements with Iran, especially Russia. And, and, you know, whether they would come to Iranian aids and, and to prolong any regional confrontation with the United States, so the United States will end up in the same boat as Russia and Ukraine, it will become, you know, United States with Iran. And I mean, there are many factors to consider here in any regional confrontation that are very complex and can lead to serious repercussions, if not built thought of. And I guess everybody, particularly the Europeans, are concerned about this, but also the American military is concerned about, you know, venturing into unpopulated in Kabul with Iran. Well, the Europeans are concerned, but I think these issues always have a different spin when you look at the domestic politics of each individual member state. And I think, you know, you were talking about the issue of of additional migration waves coming from Syria and how in 2015 um, Europe was overwhelmed. But perhaps that was a bit of a fabrication as well because there wasn't very much solidarity between the European states to take in Syrians, but also, you know, there wasn't enough sharing of the burden, so to speak, between member states, but also also no real solidarity with the people who are in need who are being displaced from countries like Syria, whereas we see the opposite happening with Ukraine, where Ukrainians were taken in with open arms as they should be. I mean, that should be the case, regardless of the background of um, the asylum seekers in question, regardless of whether they have blue eyes, blonde hair or darker complexion. So I think there's always a domestic component to it. And so I'm in, you know, going beyond what the domestic issues might be for Europe and whether they want to support Gaza or support Israel or, or um oppose Hezbollah, for example, if we look at what the domestic um, politics are in Lebanon, how are how is the population there responding to what's going on in Gaza, but also to this potential escalation between Israel and Hezbollah? I mean, it's a sectarian country, of course, and there are a lot of different groups. So how would you say the response has been domestically from within Lebanon 
to these developments? Yes, Talia, you know, we, we are very concerned. I mean, Lebanese uh, in general are very concerned about this state of instability and, you know, the constant anticipations of what could happen any time, any hour, whether we will uh, be dragged into a major uh, war with Israel or with this uh, end soon with some kind of political solutions to the conflict or some kind of ceasefire. So the, the Lebanese are worried, you know, uh, there is a, a continuous concern about how the situation developing. So that's why you see people always watching news or they are on their Twitters. They're trying to figure out what's happening second by second, very alerted population. And, you know, we, and this is really concerning and uh, what we've seen in the last two months. Much of like foreign population in the country, like Europeans, Americans who were either working for international organizations in the country or they were at university as students, they left. Uh, so uh, we, we have this feeling of an anxiety here that, you know, businesses is not as usual. No, no not even Lebanese coming to Lebanon or the diaspora abroad. It's a lot of concerns. And this is taking its toll on the economy for sure. Now, uh, in terms of you know how the Lebanese are thinking about the Gaza situation, you know, of course, Lebanese, like many uh, people around the country, are you know they uh, condemn in many ways what's happening in terms of the civilian population being you know paying the toll for. Uh, this military encounters between Hamas and Israel. Uh, people stand on solidarity. They feel with the children, with uh, the innocent lives that being uh, spared in this uh, fight. Uh, many uh, consider Israel retaliation and actions, you know, as uh, overwhelming. So they condemn Israel action. Uh, and this is across all uh, sectarian and confessional groups. Nonetheless, uh, there is a clear division, political division, what to do, uh, what for Lebanon to do, given what's happening. Because, of course, Hezbollah on its own has decided to engage the Israeli uh, forces as a, as a form of solidarity with uh, with Hamas and with the Palestinians in Gaza, and consider this is a duty of the Lebanese to support their uh, uh, brothers and sisters in Palestine and uh, undermine this military campaign by drifting Israeli forces or splitting the Israeli forces between the south and north of Israel. Uh, uh, and uh, Hezbollah considers also and supporters of Hezbollah consider that the defeat of Hamas and the occupation of Israel to Gaza paves the way for another incursion against Lebanon because, you know, the same pretext used to destroy Hamas and Gaza can be used against Hezbollah in Lebanon uh, next time around. So, uh, 
the, the concern, this concerns, you know, is a utilized as a pretext for Hezbollah's uh, armed engagement with the Israelis and to uh, um, to display uh, some kind of solidarity with the Palestinian people. Now, not all Lebanese stay on these positions. Other uh, Lebanese, especially on the Christian side of Lebanon, uh, considers Hezbollah actions is not necessarily that of Lebanon or the country's interest is not uh, being taken with the consent of the Lebanese population, is not coming out from a uh, government perspective, is in violation of UN resolutions, particularly Resolution 1701, which called for a dishonored uh, regions in southern Lebanon, where actually Hezbollah is operating right now. Uh, and consider that Lebanon should take on a neutral stand because it cannot afford a military confrontation with Israel. Uh, so we have that kind of political division of what to do given the situation in Gaza. Those who support Hezbollah's actions by going into a confrontation with Israel, those who consider Lebanon is too weak, uh, in such a confrontation, it would be a high price if Israel decided to uh, militarily retaliate against Lebanon, so best to take on the position and abide by UN resolutions and So there is a quite deep risk in a political uh, scenery in Lebanon, uh, yet this has not been manifested in any kind of actions on the ground. Uh, people are still waiting in anticipation of what can happen in Gaza, and everybody is um, kind of still awaiting some kind of solutions or resolution or international interventions that will stop the war and bring about the ceasefire so Lebanon will be spared from this uh, fight and, uh, well, you know, things will not deteriorate or escalate further. Well, Professor Salemi, it was a pleasure speaking to you, and let's hope next time we speak there will be a ceasefire as well as a cessation in hostilities between Israel and Hezbollah and other actors in the region. So let's hope next time things will be a bit more positive. Thank you, Thadia. You've just been watching part one of my discussion with Professor Imad Salemi. Part two will be about sectarianism in Lebanon and the consociational state. If you'd like to support the work that we do, you can do so by going to our website, theanalysis.news, and hitting the donate button at the top right corner of the screen. Get onto our mailing list as well. Thanks for watching and see you next time.